Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome back to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith. I've also got your other co-host, John Kirby, with me back all the way from Portland. Um, You can follow us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. Also, the mothership at The Only Colors. It's been a long time, but it feels really good to to be back. There's just a little bit of stuff's happened in our... We're in back. our hiatus here. We're back. We're rested. We've seen some games. Seen some stuff. We've seen some um, shooty hoops. <laughs> We've seen the pig scandal a few times since we talked last. Got a lot to dive into today. Yeah, So we what do. are we going to do? Set it up. Well, we're going to start. We'll set the agenda. Yeah. Uh, like you said, a lot to catch up on here. We want to make sure we give proper due to, to football. Um, you know, the season is technically over. Well, not I guess not. The regular season is over, but we've got a couple of games that we haven't necessarily recapped since uh, since our last pod. We also want to make sure we touch on everything hoops. Um, just some insanely exciting stuff that has happened. All we did, I think, the last time we were on, we were previewing Duke. Yeah. Since then, lots gone down. Had one one bummer of a game, but a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of really awesome stuff that has happened. So before we get into basketball. We're going to start with uh, with football. Let's do it. There have been two teams, two games since we last uh, convened here. We had Maryland, and the, and we should say this up front. The reason why we didn't pod after Maryland is because we mutually agreed to just simply never speak of the game ever again. That was, that was the takeaway from the game, <laughs> and I think you guys are comfortable with that as well. I think everyone was happy about that. Nobody needed more. We no. watched. We were all, we all, and if anybody went, my hats off because that was looked, out, that looked miserable, and I think that was sort of like a surprise, gross snowstorm too. I don't know that that was expected. So like, mm-hmm. man, good for you guys. Um, and then we've also had the game against vaunted Butkers. Um, Can't sleep on Butkers. I, <laughs> I will say again, we're gonna kind of breeze over these games. They all happened. Everybody knows they're really not any crazy takeaways from either of them. Um, but I will say about. Rutgers, that was one of the most boring games of football I've ever watched. One of the most just complacently dominant efforts after maybe the first, you know, quarter and a half. No, that's a really good point. It was boring, but it was because it was dominant. Yeah. And and slowly dominant. Not like like 
running rickshawed, but we did eventually. I think the big thing that was frustrating, if anything, was that there were nine penalties in that game on us, most of them false starts. But I have to point out one statistic that I think was overlooked um, as, as I reviewed and read about post-game. Because like we were talking about, people were just like, meh, it happened. No, dude. <laughs> We need to talk about the fact that Michigan State possessed the ball for 48 minutes. Yeah, wasn't that a record? I, I don't know. <laughs> like That's insane. Like, I don't know how that's possible. Well, I'm, it, they, I'm, we held records to 112 yards. And this is an absolute and utter destruction. Yeah, that was just complete and total domination. I mean, it, you could also tell, um, I think it's a credit to the coaching staff, and there has been plenty of credits towards them all year, but to get your team up for a game. Yeah. Like, listen, we've seen Rutgers win some, I mean, look, they finished four and eight, but like yeah. they won three games in the big 10 and you know, like, you'd have to have a really off day to lose to them, especially when they don't have a whole heck of a lot to play for at four and seven coming into the game. But like credit to Michigan state's coaching staff for keeping the guys ready to roll. They, they didn't come out flat. Um, they came out and they actually played a pretty solid game because that MSU could easily have just completely phoned it in. I mean, a, a last basically meaningless game against Rutgers, like yeah. in the cold. <clears throat> Whereas I don't, Rutgers coaches did not do uh, quite as good a job with with their squad getting <laughs> getting excited. Counterpoint. Okay. We're that much better, and we did phone it in. Because I saw, that's true. I saw nine penalties of guy of of not questionables, just like not disengaged penalties. It was freshman. Jordan Reed had like four yeah, false like, starts. It's just like, and maybe I don't know. I think we were just that much better. We always have been, but mm-hmm. it was still like, man, this team has come. You know, I guess we beat them that bad last year. Rutgers is that bad. Rutgers is really bad. They took a step forward this year as a program, but like, yeah, well, you, this, this is still a game that MSU did what they were supposed to do. And, and to be fair, I'm not sure if Rutgers could have taken a step back. That's true. <laughs> there was I don't know. To go. If, I don't know if it's literally possible. There was nowhere to go. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we finished nine and three. Yeah, I think now now is the part of the program where we get to just sort of gush over this season in general. Obviously, still still a little ways to go. Still a bowl game coming up, but when we're talking about the regular season, uh, I know. In our you know season preview of the podcast, when you know we have a lot of discussions about um, what our predictions were, how we felt going into the season, I know I felt like I was being the optimist coming into this season, saying like yeah. I think they should win seven games, yeah, um, possibly eight. No way. I just, I just I remember having these conversations, okay. and um, I just I have to say that. I'm just so impressed on so many levels by everything this team has done. Um, I think a, the credit is so evenly spread too. Yeah. I mean, if you start with the, I mean, start with the coaching staff. Mark D'Antonio, being this program coming into this year yeah. was in an absolutely unprecedented place with the all of the you know terrible legal issues surrounding the team. Um, and in, more youth than he had ever had. Fewer, yeah. fewer answered questions. Um, obvious, gla- well, what we thought at the time were glaring positional depth issues oh, yeah. and a tough <clears throat> schedule going on the road to Ohio State and Michigan and, you know, playing a tough non-con opponent in 
Notre Dame, I mean, I remember having a conversation with you at the beginning of the year saying, like, uh, we need to beat Western Michigan and yeah. Bowling Green. Just like, hey, those have to happen if we want to make a bowl game. Mm-hmm. And not only to, to, to answer the bell and flip on the field the, the results, but to get back to what the, the, what the program stands for and to, to correct those locker room issues and to do what not a lot of coaches are willing to do yeah. and to cut bait. F- cut bait, flush out some really, really talented players. Like, I mean, Mark D'Antonio has stood through his guys so many times through, you know, what other opposing fan bases would deem, you know, questionable legal situations. Um, but I think, you know, credit to him for not doing the same here, despite the fact that he, he needed that talent. Um, or at the time we at least thought he needed the talent. But, you know, guys like Donnie Corley, guys like Austin Robertson, guys like Josh King, those are those are guys that all would have started and starred on this team this year. Yeah. But D'Antonio had a zero-tolerance policy because we realized resetting the culture was the most important thing for the program. The culture. It's a big deal. And I think that you saw those experiences on the – or you saw that come to fruition on the field. Yeah. <clears throat> we have an opportunity – <clears throat> to in the past eight years, this is the, being the eighth year for D'Antonio to win ten games six times. That's happened in the last eight years. Or <clears throat> this would be the sixth of eight. Yeah, that's insane. That's that's that is can't can't be understated. And if it doesn't happen, that's I, I'm not going to lose sleep. That's amazing that we're in the position to be where we're at. Um, the, there's an outside, not even really an outside chance. If MSU were to win their bowl game, mm-hmm. there's a very, very reasonable chance that or they could end up in, in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that is insane. Mm-hmm. That's insane considering what the product we saw on the field a year ago. Yeah, you know, you said, you know, you're hoping to have, you know, eight wins would be, you know, fantastic. If anyone said that there would be a... This, we could win nine games this season, I would have walked away from the conversation. Institutionalized them. I would just be like, this is pointless. you clearly delusional, and I can't yeah. maintain a conversation with you. This person is Dom Garrett that you're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> well, <laughs> Sorry, Dom. <laughs> so, so, like, you know, hey, wow. Um, and and, uh, and the future is bright. You know, you look at we, – we're going to do a deep dive much later about um, next year. We're not even going to get into next year. All I'm going to say is the future is bright. Yeah, yeah, and it speaks to that youth across the board. I mean, you're, and I, th- I think this is a good transition to shout out the the guys that made the, the senior leaders that made this team great. Um, yeah. So we want to kind of hand out some some season ending awards here um, Clearly, because ours are much more important than the actual. Yes. Hardware. Ignore the actual people. This <laughs> this is where you need to get your opinions from. Um, so we'll start. John and I kind of took a little bit of differing approaches to this um, because I think the the obvious the answers to some of these are fairly obvious. But yeah. we, we we did like the obvious and then the not as obvious. So like offensive MVP. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a layup. It's it's Lewerke, and I can over. I can. I don't even want to hear about it. Like yeah. the last, the last. Two, I'm not. I don't care about the last however many games where he wasn't throwing for 400 yards. He threw back to back 400 yards. Like back to back games of 400 yards. I mean, he he looked poised. He played like an upperclassman in a lot of the big games. I mean, it. I I also think 
you know, listen, he had his ups and downs, as any you know sophomore quarterback is going to have, who's you know basically in his first year uh, of starting. He he, you saw him have some really high points against teams like Penn State, uh, but and really against Michigan too, despite the rain. But then you know he had games yeah. <laughs> like Maryland, and he had game where he completed two passes. He had games like Ohio State. So you those peaks and valleys. I think that the, what's so awesome moving forward is that. That is usually the part of the game that gets shored up as a player gets more experienced. I mean, we've saw it this year. He can make all the throws. He can run. That is a dynamic that this team needed, and I don't think anybody could have reasonably reasonably expected. He ran. He so far has run for almost 500 yards on the season. It's phenomenal. He's the second leading rusher on the team. Yeah, and and he's still a pass first quarterback. Yeah. So like, it's it's the. <laughs> I can't say enough. He is and was the. You know the straw that stirs the drink, and without him, we we now know that with D'Antonio's offense, you must have a plus quarterback mm-hmm. to. And that sounds, of course, right? But right. that's not the case at other programs. Sometimes you'll see other programs succeed without a plus quarterback. This is a program that must have an above average to getting toward very good NFL level. I mean, and with the exception of two years. And those two, you've seen that. We didn't have that. Yeah, and you're looking forward, and you've got the next two. Yes, you probably got that. And that's that's why the it's future a big deal. is so bright. And and I have enough faith, and there's enough data, and there's enough, you know, operating on good faith that the rest of the positions will continue to be backfilled in the way that they always are with yep. their two and three stars who are always going to step up because they just do. <laughs> and, and and when you when you push that out a little bit. When, when you talk about recruiting and things of that nature, we'll touch on this a bit, but uh, you got to think that this season is going to lead to a, another nice little uptick when recruits see kind of the Doesn't future. Um, but you had a different offensive MVP. I did. I, you know, um, I went with Felton Davis and I, I'm not saying that he was the better uh, offensive player. I'm saying he's the most valuable and that we came into this season without a number one quarterback. Or excuse me, uh, wide receiver. Not without a number one wide receiver. Um, it was going to be Donnie Corley, without a doubt. Right. And then we walked in with a lot of talent. That wasn't the problem, but we didn't have a number one guy with any reps. Like mm-hmm. none. Like we're in really like uncharted territory here. And this guy came in and truly um, set the tone. Um, was an up, played like an upperclassman. He is, but he acted like it. And he made some unreal catches. I think those can can't be understated he kept drives alive he made some ridiculous in big moments in too. big moments uh touchdown catches that if you remember him di- the diving catch in the end yeah. zone when he went up and over people for a catch in he had the one zone. against northwestern, northwestern where he tipped out the, the end zone end it's zone. like this guy you know and all of a sudden put himself from is he gonna play on this team to uh nfl scout saying can he play on our team? Right. And that's a, wow. It's a big jump. And, and, and you get how many games to get people to think that? Yeah. That's tough. It, it That's exciting. And I think you're totally right. Um, and it speaks to just the improvement across the board. Having that number one wide out for a young quarterback like Lewerke, big deal. And I think so he bad. got really, Lewerke ended up getting comfortable with several guys. Daryl Stewart, Cody White exploded at the end of the, you know, second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Saw Hunter Risen make a lot of big plays. Um, you know, that's four really good wideouts, but having a guy like Felton, who you feel comfortable tossing that ball up to a 50-50 ball saying, go here it is, go get it. Go get it. There man. it is. Um, 
yeah, I have to agree with you. It is, it is just crucial and and took away a lot of the pain points we saw with, you know, candidly, a rushing attack that just didn't work. It didn't really come to life right? as much. Yeah, we and, can talk about that later too. So you had a defensive MVP. I think we all... Yeah, I mean, I have a hard time thinking anybody would disagree with the fact that defensive MVP is is Joe Bocci. Absolutely. Um, like, what? This dude came... Yeah, out of nowhere. <laughs> he came out of nowhere. I mean, this guy was a... What, two, maybe a three-star recruit when he came into school. Didn't have a ton of offers. Uh, but, I mean, I guess we could have kind of seen some of this coming. Uh, not as a sophomore, I mean, not man. like this. But, well, all I'm saying is that he played as yeah. a true freshman. That's they activated him halfway through the season, yeah. and you noticed him out there at the yeah. time, despite you playing with guys like, you know, the Riley Bullas and Chris Fries of the world. But, yeah. um, I, I mean, he was a missile. And I think a co... You know, another another group that deserves a shout out uh, are those defensive tackles at Panashuk oh, and Raquan Williams out of the and the depth with Na- Naquan and Gerald Owens. Like, well, we walked in saying, do we have anyone that can get a pass rush? Yeah, and do we just play with no defensive linemen and just play all of our linemen? All the linebackers. <laughs> um, well, it's it it speaks to them though because. They did such a good job stuffing the run, and they did a great job of keeping offensive linemen off of Bocce, and then Bocce was there to make all the plays. So while he's going to get all the credit and rightfully deserves it, making huge interceptions, huge forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, I mean, he did it all this year. Uh, Led the team in tackles, obviously, but, you know. Yeah, I can't say enough. This guy. It's hard to overstate it. To your point, I can't can't say enough about this, this, this coaching staff's ability to find guys. This guy Joe Bacci got he had five other offers they were to Bowling Green Miami Ohio Toledo Western Michigan Ohio State or Youngstown State yeah very big, very big difference Youngstown State and <clears throat> Illinois he had one Big Ten offer it was Illinois yeah and okay and Michigan State offered him and he obviously made that Made decision. the correct decision. And they offered him coming off of the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. This isn't like some guy they had to pick up off the scrap heap, no. at, which I really don't think there's any of those guys. But um, Where you're just scrambling. Where you're three and nine, you're like, oh, man, we got to fill we gotta a fill. roster spot. We need a linebacker. It's just a warm body. This mm-hmm. is not that. And I think that might get lost in, in the conversation because – you people think, oh, you just of course you picked up a two star. You went three and nine. It's like no, this guy committed. Michigan State evaluated this talent when they were landing huge classes, when they were coming off of these massive bowl appearances. There were other MAC schools that were recruiting him that never offered him. I yeah, just want to I mean, leave that there. Like, think about that. That is how good that this coaching staff is at evaluating talent. And the other piece to take away is this coaching staff has had so little attrition. In, in the time that D'Antonio has taken the head coaching job. That in itself, people yeah. have, coaches have stayed. And for, oh, sure. And that's what I mean is they, that is why all those coaches that you see on that staff clearly are very, all very good at this one thing. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Um, I think that's another kind of overarching theme coming into this year. A lot of people, you know, myself included, Thought there were uh, some heads that could have very possibly and reasonably rolled 
you know, Dave Warner, Mark Snyder, uh, a couple guys that I I think had some new faces, maybe had had a a less iron-willed head coach been in in control. Some guys that may not have been there. Um, And now, you know, D'Antonio looks like a a genius for for keeping them around and, and shuffling the deck a little bit in terms of like, the um the, the roles and responsibilities. So I know a couple of those defensive, especially on defense, guys got um, moved around a little bit. And you know, a credit to D'Antonio for having faith in them, and a credit to them for making adjustments. Like they just because things had worked in previous years, doesn't mean they stuck with it. Like yeah. the, the defense, if you noticed this year, wasn't always running the Narduzzi. You know, press quarters like they mixed in zone coverage. We even saw a little bit of like three, four from time to time. Like this, that the fact that this group of coaches who have been together for so long and been so successful yeah. were able, even in the face of the three and nine disappointment, to take a step back and be like, "Listen, we got to change something up. Yep. This isn't working." Yep. And they well, did it, and they reevaluated it, and they found some stuff that looks like it can really carry forward into the future. You know, and, and you know how hard that is. You know, it's easy to say, but think about think about yourself, and think about just outside of football. <clears throat> You've been doing something a certain way, and it's been working and working really well, so so well that you have been at the very top of you know college football playoff level. And right. Whatever you're doing, you are at that elite level doing something a certain way, and then all of a sudden it stopped working. And so you had a choice between saying, I'm not wrong, everything else is wrong. <laughs> and it's a really hard decision to have to make. And then to admit to yourself, like, man, maybe it's me. Yeah. And that's hard. It's a big deal. And they did. And uh, made the proper adjustments. Um, and, and here we are. And yeah. that, that says so much. And it says a lot about, to your point about D'Antonio, never losing faith. Mm-hmm. His coaching staff says a lot, of, a lot about, um, I think, and he earned it, though. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely true. You put together ten years, and you know you're verging on becoming the winningest coach in program history. You've taken. You said earlier this is potentially the sixth ten win season in his tenure. There were, I think, two prior, two before that. Yeah. In the how many years? <laughs> you know, so like a hundred years, few, something like that. We're playing a few more games. Lately. Yeah. So but, I, yeah. I mean, he earned the benefit of the doubt. <clears throat> The seat was hot, though. I mean, I, th- I think that's fair to say coming in. Like, it was starting to simmer a little bit. I'm not going to say it was on fire because it was very far from that, like, except for the crazy people. But let's, um, let's, say. Here's, here, let's say this. Had they come out and gone 5-7, and seven, had they come out and gone 6-6, six and six, yeah. next year there are very real questions about can he get this program back yeah. to where it needs to be, where it's been, um, is – you know how loyal would he have stayed to these same coaches had things not gone mm-hmm. right this year? Instead of that, you're talking about a loaded, loaded mm-hmm. team mm-hmm. with all of returning coordinators. I don't think anybody's going anywhere. The entire coaching staff will presumably stay intact. The vast majority of your playmakers are all coming back. And now you get guys like Michigan and Ohio State at home next year. Yep. You still don't play Wisconsin. Like, like it's... Instead of talking about like a, a real Uh-oh, pivotal, well, yeah. you know, a pivotal moment in the program's history, you know, you're looking forward and expectations are back. Yeah. So, and I, I think uh, to to finish out 
you know... We got a little distracted there. So. No, no, <laughs> this actually segues nicely. The, the reason, I think, also, um, my other most valuable players that aren't Joe Bocci and Brian Lewerke, you know, are, are Chris Fry and Brian Allen. And that's, and that, I, and I'll say them not, I think all the seniors, but specifically them for being not statistically, um, but I mean, these were guys that weathered the storm. They saw the best, they saw the worst, and then it was their time to just, they were in charge. Yeah. You know, to be, the coaching staff is a lot of it, but the players are the extension out of the field. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you have to believe... And in the locker room, I think, which is just as important with this group in particular. And everywhere else, right? The weight room just hanging out, like being together. Like, they were able to cobble together a a functioning, well-oiled, meshing team. And had that been the case a year ago, I don't think you're talking three and nine. I think you're talking... You know, you might only be talking seven and five. Yeah, but that's game. just a massive, a, a massive, massive, massive difference. I, I agree with <clears> you a hundred percent on that. So, um, yeah, I think they get a shout out. We, we gave them some shout outs. Um, we have been for a while, but it, enough can't be said and it won't show up all the time in the box score. And I think that is just like, it's so important. It's and a big deal. Hats off to them as well. You talk about the culture. Those are guys that helped reset the culture and, uh, I, I have to agree with you. Just special shouts out. Brian Allen, Chris Fry, Demetrius Cooper. Mm-hmm. I know I'm forgetting somebody else, too. There's, um, there's only a handful of them. Yeah, there's not too many. Oh, Gerald Holmes. Yeah. Um, who, sneaky take, I think he's going to be a decent NFL player. I think he's going to I think he, if he can get a shot, I think he's he's got fresh legs. That's fast. I mean, hey, well, that, he runs that, hard. Well, that's interesting. Let's talk about that because we were going to talk about um, some off-season questions. Yeah, so I think um, the biggest question moving forward for Michigan State, kind of like we just talked about, um, you know, the vast, vast majority of this team is coming back, which is why you're looking at a, a smaller recruiting class this year. But I think there's really only one big question mark in terms of who may go, who even has the ability to declare, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. eligibility wise yeah. um they're really only two players one of them is and this we're gonna start with a lesser extent and then we'll get to the big one where it's a real actual question one is felton davis i mean you you yeah. alluded to it earlier he had a, a huge year really is his major coming out party and you know you not only saw him make crazy catches but you saw him consistently make catches he didn't have very many drops that i can remember this year right when he came through in big moments he was getting covered as the number one all year facing the best defensive backs from good defenses, right. and he still was able to make plays. Um, and Bale is quarterback guy. I mean, he was he was the 50-50 ball guy. He was the red zone threat, and he was still able to make consistent plays. So, And the other part of that equation is that the NFL draft, um, it's positionally is, is not all that deep at wide receiver from what I understand and have read to this point. So, you know, I suppose there is – uh, a series of events that could take place where Felton would go, but I, I mean, I would never, I yeah, it's, don't it's, get that vibe. It's hard to see it. Um, his stock went from, yeah, we talked non-existent. About it, I mean, to all of a sudden in, in the running, he he also has the opportunity to to just plus it up even. Further. Well, he could come <laughs> back and have another huge year too. Absolutely. I mean, he could be. You know, if the work he takes steps forward that he should take and the running game comes to life a little bit, you know, 
people got to keep those eyes in the backfield now and, and things, things change and, and the circumstances are such that he could have a massive year. But I think the biggest question mark is LJ Scott. Yeah. LJ Scott was a huge recruit. I don't think there's any part of LJ Scott that ever pictured being at Michigan State for four years. That's certainly never the vibe I got. And when you talk talent, he's an NFL talent. Yeah. There's no, no question. When he runs the ball uh, and he gets in the open field, he, he can make anybody miss. You've seen him hurdle players. You've seen him run guys over. He can catch the ball. He made a couple of really nice catches this year. Um, and I think he was held back a little bit by – well, definitely was held back by the offensive line this season in terms of his statistics. I – personally think he should come back for another year just because of where the offense has the potential to go. And he would once again, be the most featured portion of it. However, I would never begrudge in today's day and age and the way running backs go in the NFL. I would never blame him for leaving. You got to get that money because as a running back, there's no such thing. It really, the workhorse doesn't exist nope. very much in the NFL. There are maybe, I mean, how many examples are there even of it? I don't even know how many are left. Um, so it, you only got so many carries in you. That's right. And so get that money while you can. Uh, if you are so inclined to, to go to the league, and, you, and I think he would get drafted somewhere. might not be all that high, but mm-hmm. – um, you know, I, he has a chance to be a good NFL player. The talent is all there, and I think in the right system, he could be really successful. So while I want him to come back selfishly, yeah. I would uh, I would be I would support him 100% of the way if he decides to go pro. Yeah, I mean, I think we're on the same page here. Here's what people need to realize: is that he has a lot of people talking to him on both sides. One, the NFL. Chews up and spits people up, okay? It's a business, and you only get so many carries on the body in that league. Coming back to Michigan State for another year immediately takes away carries on that body for the NFL, okay? This year, he will likely, if you were to declare, is probably going to be picked in the third round. Yeah, best case. Okay? To me. So he's going to be, because there just aren't a ton of running backs. Well, they're just not a valuable commodity anymore. I right. mean, like, unless you were one of the top tops, you're the Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel so, Elliott, you're not going to go in the first round. Yeah, this year it's it's Barkley. Yep. You know, you have... Uh, maybe Ronald Jones from, from USC. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. There's there's not a lot there. So when people are saying, like, man... Darius Geis from LSU. There's just not... Yeah, and then you see, you see guys, like, at Georgia, Chubb. Yeah. Who whose stock has fallen because they have taken so many carries at the collegiate level where you got, you're saying, man, remember, remember when he came out as a freshman, like this guy, yeah. Oh, this guy. What's his draft stock now? Chubb's a good example of risking injury too. I mean, he had a brutal, that's the issue. Brutal injury. Because as we talked about, there are so many carries. Yeah. So when you have the opportunity to take an NFL, to get an NFL roster spot, and you know that you're, if you can look ahead of you and say, okay, there's only a few guys in front of me. There are only a few. Yeah, not many. I mean, I, I again, I think your, your point is right. Um, I would never blame him for going. I think he's young, too, because mm-hmm. he's a true junior. Um, he's 
you know, I, I think he could absolutely make some hay in the NFL. And I hope that whatever, practically, it makes way more sense to go. Absolutely. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world to go. But um, we'll see. I think MSU, if, if you want to speculate a little bit and say that he does declare, I still think Michigan State's okay from a running back perspective. I mean, you, you never want to lose a talent like him. Don't get me wrong. He would, be the, he would definitely be the starter and get 80% of the carries should yeah. he come back. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if he goes... You still got Madre London coming back as a senior. He might finally get his actual look to be like the true starter, which I think there's plenty of talent there. We've seen it in flashes. Um, you also have uh, Elijah Collins coming in who's a, a three-star. I guess technically he's an athlete recruit, but everybody kind of sees him at running back. Um, he's from U of D, University of Detroit Jesuit in uh, the greater Detroit area. Connor um, Hayward. Connor Hayward, I mean – my favorite big boy, Connor Hayward. Um, I, he could be running back, H-back. I mean, the point is, and MSU's going to be fine. And they also, by the way, Jeremy Lankford was a corner and a wideout before he became a stud yeah. running back. I mean, they can point. find athletic players somewhere on this roster to, to make that happen. And you're led by the lead dog in Madre London. So I would love to see him come back. But if he goes, you know, so be it. I think the other big offseason question is, can Michigan State close in on some some top recruits? We alluded to it earlier. It's not going to be a big recruiting class. I mean, I don't even think it'll hit 20. I think it'll be 18, 17, 18. Okay. Um, and they've got most of it locked up already. And it's a fun class, which we'll get into closer to signing day. But um, most of the major positions are filled for them. However, Mark D'Antonio's never one to turn away a big name player should they want to come and, and be a part of the team. Um, and this is kind of where MSU every year, it seems like manages to, to land a big fish yeah. because this is when that continuity happens. And uh-huh. it, you know, like you, the, a really good example is the Dowell twins a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, Andrew and David, um, they were committed to Northwestern and then they were committed to Kentucky. And then right before signing day, when both of those, you know, Kentucky, they remember that they were in the SEC and they weren't going there to play basketball. Yeah. They were like, oh, never mind. We'll go, you know, play for the team that has a consistent coaching staff and has had consistent success. So I think a lot of the – And the they thing, worked out. They worked out, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the things that MSU was able to get back to this year are the big appeals that helped them land some really big players in the past. So one specifically that will be already decided by the time this pod comes out is uh, four-star corner Kalon Gervin. Um, from Detroit Cast Tech, he's, I mean, a four-star DB is like D'Antonio's dream. Yeah. So uh, to he was formerly committed to Notre Dame. He's flirted with plenty of other schools, uh, but it seems like Michigan State and Oregon are kind of his last two, from what I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she's got some a, a loaded defensive young back, young defensive backfield. But man, uh, throw a guy like that in there and and tell him if he's the best, he'll play. That's an exciting opportunity. So that'll be interesting moving forward. So, yeah, a lot, lot of fun stuff. Um, but before the, we get to that, the season has not ended. No. And, and <laughs> we, in fact, uh, have a potential bowl game. Yeah. No, we'll uh, have a bowl game. <laughs> Which one, though? He could call. Um, yeah, we, we, we don't know quite yet. A uh, lot to play out. But it looks like a little Citrus Bowl action. Yeah, Citrus Bowl seems to be the one that... Uh, most people are talking about the common prediction is Michigan State facing off against LSU. Louisiana State University. So while we won't get into hypotheticals necessarily with matchups and things like that, 
I think it's exciting that in the Citrus Bowl, it's usually the Big Ten and the SEC. Those are the two mm-hmm. conferences. So mm-hmm. uh, MSU will likely get a chance to add a marquee win. Another one. Uh, another marquee win, I should say. Yes, good point. On to the end of this season. And and you've seen what that's done when they've beaten Baylor. You see, saw what that did coming off the Rose Bowl to add an actual – and you saw what it did coming off Bama. Uh, yeah. When you can win those games, so people remember. that's a big deal. So, and that, that momentum heading into the offseason, yeah. you know, down the stretch, one, with recruiting like we just talked about, and two, just in recruiting moving forward. Yep. Being able to sell that. It's like, oh, man, we saw Michigan State on New Year's Day beat LSU and then they dive into the oh wait yeah they beat Penn State this year oh they beat Michigan again oh man like this this oh they're loaded and young like oh I can be a part of something really special so Mm -hmm. it that you know you pull on that ball of yarn and uh, a win helps that that process speed up quite a bit so I mean a New Year's Day ball though before we move to basketball let's just yeah the fact that we're having this discussion yeah is crazy it's insane to me I know we touched on it at the beginning, but like the fact that Michigan State is legitimately like people might get upset if they get left out of the New Year's Six. Mm-hmm. It's just wild, you know. Mm-hmm. They, they flipped the script. Uh, I, I will say, I enjoyed this season, this the so regular fun. season, so much so because fun. to see them out there having fun again together, and to see how much those big wins meant to to everybody was so exciting. And these seasons really are usually actually the most fun because you had no expectation. So every time you beat a big team, it's not this sense of relief. It's a sense of like, Oh man, (laughs) that's a big deal. Yeah. So it's uh, hats off to everybody. It's an exciting time to be a Spartan fan. Yeah, man. What a year. What a year. Yeah. Cool. That's it. So we, you know, we'll talk playoff results after all the championship games next week. But uh, it's time to get to to what season it actually is oh, now. Because you know. it is hoop season. Love. We talked about it uh, when we were previewing Duke, but this is sort of the... Given the team, given the schedule, given everything that's playing out, uh, this is a chance to be a really special season for MSU. And I think the first stretch of games here has proven just where this team can go. And now... I'm going to turn it over to John yep. because John actually went to the PK 80, which Michigan State won, defeating uh, what DePaul, UConn, and UNC mm-hmm. uh, in three games in four days. Um, John was there. Tell us about it. Okay, first of all, it was an amazing event. Uh, it, it was my my nirvana going <laughs> and just being amongst all of these different basketball games, just watching. That is what i love and uh i i I can't say enough about the experience portland was weird and they they held their end of the bargain of being weird (laughs) and so i enjoyed the enjoyed the heck out of it um you know met met a ton of spartan fans um got to hang out with a bunch of people got to drink some really great portland beer it was just fantastic all the way around and um i i guess i missed bill walton uh, oh man, but... <laughs> that was. Now I'd like for the record to show I've I I have never and will never do acid, but I feel like <laughs> in that moment I think I sort like the wall started to move. Yeah, and it, like we miss Dave Pash. 
the Dude. border collie of ESPN oh, in man. that game because man, he was just all off the wall. He literally like started when someone said the name Miles Bridges and he just started talking about bridges. Sure. Like the like a bridge, mm-hmm. not Miles Bridges, but just bridges. And it's just like where like is he watching the game? Like I could yeah, you missed you missed it. But he, he had it. also multiple huge uh donuts. Okay. One was shaped like Phil Knight's face. And man, if I was Phil Knight and I got that with the way that that thing looked I would have been insulted. I may have thrown it down on the ground. It was not a great looking cupcake you know, or a donut. You know what was funny is, you know, Phil Knight was at almost every game. And yeah. um, I was just laughing because I was like, dude, if I were him, like legitimately, he, he's obviously sitting half court, court side, obviously. But if I were him, I'd just like walk on the court during the game. <laughs> and I'd be like, what? I'd be like, rock, ball. Yeah, ball, ball me, ball me, Ce- now. Celebrity shot. Celebrity shot. <laughs> like, I'm doing what I feel like. It's my tournament. <laughs> oh. what you, and then, like, if anyone said anything of the coaches, I'd be like, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm in charge of Nike. No, I'd be like, shut it down. Yeah. Game's Get over. Get him out of here. Get out of here. You're in Adidas school now. Think I care? <laughs> you lost. You're in Adidas school now. Yeah. yeah I, you've been relegated. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know. I was just, like, laughing because this dude is just, like, Obviously smiling, having a great time, but it's like, dude, this is your tournament. Yeah, like, he's, it's hilarious. This tournament is for you. <laughs> that is so funny. I feel like he did not take full advantage of the situation. He's, well, that's true. <laughs> it seems like a, maybe a missed opportunity on Phil's part. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, but no, I think, uh, you know, I obviously went to all of our games, um, learned a ton about our team. We learned a ton. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard not to, to be real. You know, despite Duke and, and that game, I think coming out of that and into the PK-80, there was this this level of frustration not only among the fan base, but you could probably tell among the team where they're like, we are as good as that team, and we let that game get away. That We were tied with four minutes to go uh, and just sort of, you know, didn't make the plays that needed to be made kind of throughout the game. They got frustrated by that zone, couldn't shoot over it. Bridges was not nearly as aggressive as he probably needed to be. Um, And you could tell that there was just a level of frustration there uh, and boy, did they take it out. They have taken it out on their last four opponents. Um, you oh, know, smoking yeah. DePaul, kind of really running away from UConn in the second half, doing what they did to North Carolina and Notre Dame. But let's talk specifically about that PK-80 stretch. Okay, so uh, what I was so blown away about is uh, the DePaul game. Um, you know, there was I could just like sense this frustration in the arena. And like, I don't know, maybe I was just like in this blissful mood and I was like, (laughs) we're just clearly better than them and we are not going to lose. I'm not going to get mad. Right. And I also was like, I didn't fly all the way here to get mad. Yeah. (laughs) I can, I can be mad online later, Right. but like not now. And, and you know what? The cool thing was watching that our team, um, grow through it. We talked about it ad nauseum before the season started in our preview. We're going to get everyone's best shot. Yep. We always will. You saw that against, uh, the first two teams. They were inferior teams that gave us their best shot. And we took it. And then you found multiple different players in each game who, who stepped up to the yeah. occasion. That were not Miles Bridges. And DePaul in, well, DePaul in particular because Bridges didn't even play. Correct. Well, yeah. And so the first game, um, there's a little bit of looking amongst yourselves. Yeah. You know, who, who? Who among us? Who? They're, whom's man? Yeah. And so, and you saw um, surprise, or surprising hand in the back rows, and his name is Matt. McQuaid, baby, hey, ass- hey coach. baby assassin, uh, said, I, I am ready for this moment. And, and you know, to be fair, 
Um, that's he was playing against a group of guys that he probably was playing against in high school. He was <laughs> felt feeling very comfortable. Yeah, and, and was, very much in his element. Yeah, he's like, oh yeah, I, I'm used to dominating these kinds I'm of good games. At this. And uh, he, but truly stepped up and he played extremely well. Um, did Wait. not shy away from open shots. We saw him do that in the Duke game towards the end of the game. Yeah, where he was feeling a little hesitant. And uh, we talked about how if he is going to play, there cannot be one moment or feeling of any type of anxiety. No. Otherwise, you are you are now a net neutral, and we can't have that right no, now. No, you're net. I mean, yeah. Because he's a decent a, defender. A, 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 yeah, neutral at best. <laughs> yeah, because you're um, a decent defender, and um, well, we, just, we just can't have you in. Man. Well, he's going to have to play. I mean, like, yeah. there's really, with the wing depth, which I'm going to touch on here in a minute, but, like, he has to play. So mm-hmm. that... And you have to shoot. If that's what you're out there to do, you have to do it. Now, don't take irresponsible shots, but yeah. when you get those open looks, you got to take them. Yeah. And ideally, yeah. can at least, he, for, you know, 35 to 40% of them. And he can can them. And he did. He made six in that game. And and that was fantastic, you know. And that was an easy, comfortable win. The yeah. way it should have been, right? Yeah, and UConn, now, so <laughs> I'm going to come clean. Oh, I was on Eastern time for these games. Oh, so I did not watch the first two live i actually watched the full replays of them on, That's <laughs> online later actually the next morning i woke up and watched them but um so i did watch that yukon game i knew the outcome but uh yukon they haven't changed their style of play it was cool to see like a little bit of difference in 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 all the games michigan state's played so far they faced very different teams but offensively yukon hasn't changed up since Kemba Walker left yeah they seriously they they are iso ball guard heavy and that's that and you saw it um really going into the game kind of you know I assumed that that was how they're still going to play there are some real questions with Michigan State's uh guards and their ability to defend I mean Jalen Adams um Terry Larrier and they've got another good guard as well those guys can all ball like those are good players i don't know that uconn's gonna get all that far this year because their bigs don't do much of anything yep. but um you know that three those three scorers can each get hot and you saw them make some really impressive shots but i think that game was you know a, a good propeller for the michigan state guards to get their their confidence up because i thought they really held their own absolutely defensively yeah i mean we just again um struggled early struggled yep. maybe even a i don't know if that's fair we were winning a halftime. Yeah. You know, like, we were not playing to our capability. Let's sure. put it that way. And and they came out uh, in the second half and just played, I mean. Played the ball they're supposed to play. Oh, man. It was just beautiful to watch. Okay. And you're just seeing them play comfortably together. And, and I mean, Cassius had 28 points. He, yeah. He, he looked like a man possessed in that second and half. And he fit, I, you know. So not every game was like capacity, okay? In fact, many of them were. And so especially in the UConn game, I kind of like went wherever I wanted. So yeah. me and my buddy just like sitting, whatever. But I found this, you know, entire uh, section. And Cash is just like doing his thing, right? In the second half, he's just like taking over the game. And at the end, I don't know if you remember, he just like ISOed one-on-one at the top of the key, came through the lane and kind of flipped it up. And yeah. just like and one. It was just like the ca- the capstone for his yeah. performance. Yeah. And I just had to immediately put on my my walk on hat and just hold everyone back <laughs> from no one. There's no one around. No one's trying to break that. through my arms. All of I these am, ghosts. All the ghosts in my <laughs> section. None of them were getting on the court because <laughs> I was holding them all back after that. And 
But I was like, man, yesterday Matt, today Cassius stepping up. Like, who? this is amazing. Can't believe we have this. And then the next game, uh, yeah, another UNC, arises. Uh, yeah, that was... So US, UNC, you know, that's one of the, what, the two programs, really, the two tobacco road programs that Izzo always struggles against, UNC and Duke. Um, I think this team probably came into this game a little more fired up knowing that and after what had happened against Duke, uh, wanting to come out and make a statement. And, man. It was unreal to watch these guys. And I, and I want to point out that we won this game by 18. 18, right? yeah. So in mid-second half, there was a stretch of almost four minutes where we didn't score. We still won by 18 points. The game was never particularly close. This we, we this team defensively set all kinds of records for the wrong reasons for North Carolina. Oh, yeah. It is the lowest uh, field goal percentage in the history of their team, yep. I believe. They, we, and we turned the ball over 24 times. Like, what the? It, how do you win by 18? So... Th- that's how good they were. We need to stay game specific because I want to go big picture after these games. But like this individual performance is such a big deal. Like they, defensively, this team has such incredible potential, and you saw it against the reigning national champions. Yep. Who? Yeah. There's some. There's turnover. Don't get me wrong. Justin Jackson's gone. Uh, what? Joe Bear? No. no uh, who's poorly. the other? Marcus Page. <laughs> yeah. Um. Or was he gone the year before? Uh, he won. He won the championship. Okay, so he was still there. I mean, those are really good players. But Joe Barry's still there. This is still North Carolina. Pinson's still there. This is a team that, you know, has reeled in some big recruits. I mean, it's still, it's North Carolina. This isn't the joke of a program or anything. And MSU just played their style of ball right back at them. Yeah. Where it's bigs, you own the glass, you defend the glass, and that's, and you have, you know, one or two guards that can make some plays for you. In this game, MSU's guards were significantly better. Dominant. And we held... Here, here's where it all fell apart for North Carolina. And it's almost to no fault of theirs. Because they were, gonna, they were playing against guy, uh, uh, guys that they will not see. Well, they'll see them against Duke. But uh, where... So, for example, um, they, they couldn't get position on the post. They right. couldn't run anything through the post. There's just nothing. Which is how they play. They just can't do it. And they could not do it. They tried and they couldn't. And it was just like, now what? Okay, well, now you're you're kicking it back out and you're rushing three-pointers, okay? And and MSU's length, on the runouts, Miles Bridges, you saw him yeah. block three-pointers. Yeah. Jaron Jackson run out on three-pointers, block three-pointers. They hit one three-pointer. They shot yeah. six And it was that last-second heave. It was a last-second yeah. heave. Okay, so I think they finished one of 18. Yeah. Okay, so like, and that's, and I want to be very clear, that is not them having... Just an off night. They were, they were effective. Right. Now, they missed open shots too, sure. That, that, but that doesn't change the outcome of the game, I'll tell you right now. Right. They win by 18. They yep. just done. So, uh, I was just extremely blown away, and then Langford just yeah. really... Took it upon himself. There were only a couple areas, well, there were several areas coming into the season where you're like, this is a, this team's going to be special. This team's going to be really good no matter what. If everybody just plays average, Mm -hmm. this team was still going to be a top 10 team. Mm -hmm. But there were a couple players in particular and areas in particular where it's like, okay, if this goes from good to great or good to very good, Mm -hmm. this, the ceiling for this team 
or I should say the floor for this team, which was already very high, rises from this is a top 10 team to like this team shouldn't lose more than I mean, like a game the rest of the season. Really. And I, I know those are high expectations, but um, I don't think it's unreasonable. And one of those big areas and big players was, was Josh Langford. I mean, this team, you knew about the front court, everything from the three down with, with miles and all that front court depth, but the guards, it's like, you know, Cassius was always going to be a good distributor. He can make things happen, but which one of these wings between McQuaid and Langford specifically, obviously Langford, mm-hmm. if he can become a dynamic two guard, yep. which you've seen him be in flashes, especially towards the end of last year. Yeah. Like, boy, I mean, you, you, that, that makes this team's ceiling so much better. And you have seen it in spades the last two games. And against UNC, it was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it was beautiful. Uh, we've only played seven games, but you have our shooting guard, Josh Langford is shooting 48% from three. That's good. And our point guard who is getting pushed to the two because we, because he has so to play lights there. out, he's shooting 58% from three. Now those aren't going to hold up because no. they just can't. No, it's but crazy. Like, <laughs> you, you just are like, oh, oh, okay. You were worried that they were going to be shooting issues and you were worried if Tum Tum and Cassius could play together. But man, if Cassius is going to shoot even above 40% yeah. and Josh Langford is going to shoot above 40% from three, mm-hmm. you, you just created a lot of backcourt depth and you created another problem for other teams like – defensively you're uh, Michigan state already brings so much front court depth. So they're going to clob. They're starting to clobber teams on the offensive glass. Yep. And now not only do you have to combat with that on the misses, mm-hmm. but you got to deal with three guys. Now, if you, <clears throat> well, I mean, even include bridges in there, you got to deal with guys that are shooting solid percentages from three that you can't let them get looks, but you also can't come out and run them out and run them off the line yeah. and let them down into the post where they, where you're then going to have to deal with the rest of the big bodies. I mean, it becomes a incredibly difficult puzzle to solve yep. for, for opposing defenses. Yes. I mean, it's absolutely, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And you know, it was, was odd. And, and one that I would, Hedge to bet we probably won't see almost an anomaly of sorts. We saw um, in the Duke game, we saw them have out-rebound us significantly. They had 25 offensive rebounds. 25. Yeah, that's a lot. Okay. Without Marvin Bagley for most of the game, too. Okay. And I don't even know how. How I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> and, like, I just can't. I don't know. We, you know, we just kind of wax poetic about this team's rebounding ability, it, perhaps as a result of what happened against Duke they're playing to their potential now. Yeah. Right? And so I uh, have a hard time seeing that ever happen again. Uh, yeah. It just seems... It's it's such a funny, like, al- almost a fitting... It's almost fitting, in a way, that MSU lost that game. Because, A, it, gives, it gave Izzo the ultimate silver bullet with his team. Sure. He always has an example to point back to now and say, oh, you want to be the best team? Look at what's this happened to us this year on the biggest stage against the best team without probably one of the probably their best player. Yeah, this happened to us, and you have seen. I mean, since then, it hadn't even been close. So let's spin this forward into Notre Dame, Michigan State. I I was impressed with what they did to North Carolina in as a whole, but I was equally, if not more, impressed despite 
a bigger lull what happened against Notre Dame. The first half of that game was, you said Nirvana for you at the PK-80. That was Nirvana for that team. That mm-hmm. team was, you saw just how good they can be. And make no mistake about it, Notre Dame and North Carolina, those are good teams. Yeah. Those are key teams that could that are going to get picked to make the Final Four. Mm-hmm. I think Notre Dame, I mean, they're two of the best teams in the ACC. They I wouldn't had, be surprised to see either of them win that conference. They had an incredibly unfortunate matchup against us. Really, Notre Dame against MSU. This one I was a little more confident they would win yeah. by a decent amount because, you know, Listen, Bonzi Colson, first team All American, yeah. great player. He played great the player. Only guy that could defend him. Yeah, and the that old, would be Jaron Jackson. Uh, one of two guys in the NCAA. Maybe yeah. three with Bagley. Yeah, so, <laughs> the point is, there are two or three guys. One of them is Jaron Jackson, who's 18. Yeah. Bonzi Colson's a four year starter at Notre Dame, first team All American. He's going to. I mean, he's going to have discussions for player of the year. You're going to see highlight after highlight of him moving forward this season. Mm -hmm. But he was just smothered. He was smothered by Jaron Jackson. Jaron Jackson has emerged defensively as an absolute game changer. Like he, his commitment and his ability to come to Michigan State and play and make an immediate difference from day one, again, just that ceiling is is astronomical. Well, and and here's where you're going to start to see him learn some things on the fly because there's still a learning curve you're going to start to see him he he's not spilled out yet obviously so he struggles sometimes to establish position so to do so he starts to do it way too early yeah okay or fights it way too early in the post on defense which because he's fighting so hard can be called for an early a foul yeah. Okay. So the moment you start, he starts to learn. I don't need to do that. I can wait till the ball gets over half court before right. I start to actually bang because you're drawing attention to yourself. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you, there's no need for a mess because there's a referee behind you who has nothing to watch because the ball's not over half court yet. Right. Besides you and this other guy basically beating the heck out of each other. Yeah. Stop. Just stop. Yeah. You're fine. And so, and he's been doing that on offense and defense, and he's getting himself into a little foul trouble. Yeah, and in these perfect, perfect example are these last two games. It's so crazy to me. It speaks to just how dynamic and how big of a deal he can be, and just how much of an impact he makes on the game. He played a total of, I think, just over thirty minutes in those two games, and you would still point to him as the X factor, definitely <laughs> against Notre Dame, yeah. and he made a massive difference against. Uh, North Carolina. He overshadows some of the other bigs like Ben Carter, who yep. I think has impressed me tremendously with just his basketball IQ. I know yeah. I, I complained that he was at the top of the key against the zone against Duke, but like, man, he he is a heady. You can tell he's a, like a twelfth year senior, but yeah. I mean, he <laughs> Gavin Schillen's been playing really well. Nick Ward again, kind of can't stay out of foul trouble, but. Um, that, the, the ability to just roll those waves of fresh bodies. Mike Bray even talked about it, Notre Dame's head coach after the game. He said his team, which had been off for eight days, mm-hmm. got worn down mm-hmm. by Michigan State. It's that a- is, that says all, everything you need to know. Well, and you know, the, here, and here's the other thing, is you, you see a lot of people who are saying, including me, why are we giving so many minutes to Ben Carter and Xavier Tillman? Why? Mm. Okay, well, here's why. Here's why. Get them getting them minutes against big boy teams in November. 
helps so much in yeah, March. Big deal. Two, you just heard Mike Bray. We got worn down. Okay? It's because we can put in net neutral bodies. Yeah. Okay? And that's impossible in college basketball to find to have a fifth and sixth big guy that can come in and give you great minutes. Yeah. Okay? And so we're like, man, we want more Nick Ward. We want more Jaron Jackson. Hey, trust me. They will play yeah. when it starts to matter, matter. Yeah. When you are getting games uh, in November, that's where you experiment. And, like, we forget every year for some reason that, reason that Izzo does this. Knows what he's doing. This is what he does. Yeah, he and, does. and I think you're totally right about getting them minutes against big boy teams. And also, they're playing when the game – it's not like these games are last-minute yeah. crunch time. I mean, it was against Duke. Carter did Carter play did late against play Duke. Crunch that was, that was, was frustrating because yeah. uh, I would have liked to have seen Nick Ward in there, although I guess he was getting kind of smoked on defense, which has been his bugaboo. But he really stepped it up since then. The entire team has stepped it up since then across the board, offensively and defensively. But um, – I agree with you. I think getting those big boy minutes is huge. Uh, honestly, especially for Tillman, because given what could happen attrition-wise after this year, he, you might be talking about a starter. It's very possible you're talking about Xavier Tillman and starting well, in the front court he, next year. He has to. Right. I mean, there's no option. You look at next year's team, and, and it's it, the writing's on the wall. Yeah, I mean, Carter, Schilling, Jaron, Miles, they're all gone. So so for him specifically, it's about earning that, earning those stripes and getting ready for next season. And it's also about building in an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have to throw them in there as backups and be like, in, in if they need to play in a big moment. Like if Jaron and, and Nick both get four fouls and the game is still close against a big-time opponent in the Big Ten late in the year, yeah. or you know in the, March, in, in the tournament in March, I mean, you don't want to throw them in there green. Yeah. And so getting this, this is the time and you know, they're both upperclassmen Tillman obviously isn't, but like, this is the time to give them those minutes. And these guys are going to play, by the way, get ready for it. Michigan state's going to have some real lopsided games in the big 10 this year. Some real, I am not impressed with the conference at all. Yeah, It's been a rough go for the conference as a whole. You saw it against the big 10 ACC challenge. They got smoked. There's there's nothing. The only, it's tough. There are going to be a couple nice teams, um, Minnesota will be nice. Purdue will be nice. Um, then, then there are a lot of teams who are trying to find some themselves. Yeah, and though I, I expect a couple to improve. Yeah, maybe. I mean maybe that second tier is deeper than we realize right now. That's ten, tends to be the place where things will grow. Yep. That's, I mean, I think I think U of M has potential. Absolutely. They don't have the point guard play to really be challenging, but they have some other. They've got some guys. Yeah, and you have, and then you have yeah, Northwestern who has to find themselves. You know, there right. are a couple. There are a couple and, of teams where you're like. What are you? What are you doing? Like, yeah, where where, where are, you, are we headed? Wisconsin, one of them. Where where are you going? But the point going? the point you're getting at is that that second tier might be deeper, and like that's okay. But MSU is just so far and away above appear, everybody else. It would appear yeah. yeah, on paper, and I think what you've seen on the court. I don't. I I mean, they're gonna they're gonna out. They should outclass the rest of the Big Ten. Again, I know I'm saying some some big things here. You know, with the I don't think they should lose more than two games the rest of the year, and I honestly don't think that they should lose the. They should win the Big Ten, and they should do it by at least two or three games. Yeah, it's it's hard to look at the schedule and say, it, it, candidly, there may be, and it's not the case. There's they will be favored in every game the rest of the year. They should be. They will. They should be. And and they should be. And the only away game, because Purdue's at home. Yeah. At Minnesota is really the only one where I could even consider a team being not even favored, but. 
And close. Right? And you look around those teams specifically. If you look at some of the box scores so far, Minnesota's playing five guys. Yeah. And, and, and you think that's going to – it's yeah. just – it, it, it speaks to the talent level of Michigan State in terms of your starting five is is higher than as, – is as good as anybody in the entire nation. Forget the conference. Yeah. And then you're talking about the depth. That team, especially in the front court, which is where so many games are decided in college basketball, is as deep as anybody in the country. Yeah. So combine top-level talent, combine cohesiveness, combine depth – and it, I just have a hard time finding losses on this schedule. Yeah, and I mean, a lot can happen. A lot can um, happen, absolutely. But on paper, after we just saw this non-con season, it's it was all signs point to a strong performance, and that leads us into actually the Big Ten kicks off soon tomorrow. Tomorrow, um, oddly, um, so Sunday. Get used to that happening in the Big Ten. Um, the, yep. The reason being, well. Well, this year, I believe... It's a weird reason. Yeah. Well, this year, in case nobody knew, and I don't know if this will happen more going forward, but I hope not. But Jim Delaney, the Big Ten Commissioner, desperately, as we all know, just wants that New York market. He just loves beating his head against that wall. Mm -hmm. And so in order to capitalize on that this year, instead of having the Big Ten tournament in Chicago or Indianapolis, the traditional Big Ten hubs... He is having it in New York and in, in at MSG, and in order to do that, he had to move the tournament up a week because traditionally the Big East tournament is played in New York, yep. and they have their week blocked off. So, just to be clear, yeah, Jim Delaney decided that he would move the Big Ten up, Big Pl- Big Ten play up into the first ten games of the season into December, and have his teams take a week off. Yep. Between the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. Yep. So now, Michigan State will, regardless of if they win the Big Ten tournament or not, they'll have like 10 or 12 days off. Oh, that which was- you could say maybe is a good thing for getting fresh, but if I'm, I don't want that. No if my that. team just won the tournament, what are you the doing? Big Ten tournament, get me, yeah, get me, keep me playing. I mean, at that point in the year, I, I don't want the, this time off. So, the reason Big Ten play is starting now is because of, of that really interesting scheduling uh, decision. Yeah, I mean, we'll get mad about that later. Um, yeah, when it comes time. <laughs> when it comes time for me to find reasons to get mad, I will get very mad about that. It I was, was mad about it when it was announced. I'm still mad about it. I know, it's insane. It's, it's stupid. It's actually insane. But, but, um, we can't look ahead because our no. first... Uh, our first Big Ten game is against Nebraska, and guess yeah. what? They're the only other team that uh, won their ACC Big Ten Challenge. Now, I will say, you know, we did lose, um, let's see, was it 11-2? to two? Jeez. Does that sound right? Well, we have well, it's 14, 14 teams, so, so it's 12-2? to two? I don't care. And <laughs> But I will say that MSU more than held up their end of the bargain. Oh, yeah, big time. Well, we won two games in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. <laughs> This week. That's right. Did we not? Yeah, we did. So we did all we could, guys. Yeah. We brought home two. Yeah. Uh, I think the ACC is a significantly better conference this year. I actually think the the Big Ten, unfortunately, I think is going to be one of the weaker conferences in the country. Well, power conferences for sure. Power conferences. Yeah. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, hey. Or it certainly won't be the best. I'll put it that way. I think there are some other ones. I think the AC, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really putting it out there. ACC, I think is is 
real good. I think the Big 12 has a chance to be okay. But uh, it's I guess we should just say it's not your usual caliber of, of Big 10. It, it is uh, what a time to have the time. Really good timing to have <laughs> your most talented team. Or you could argue it's bad timing. Because, eh, no, I'll because take if you're on a really bad team, you'd be like, oh, well, we could finish. Well, see, here's the thing. That's why it was smart of Izzo as always, yeah. to schedule the impossible yeah, schedule, non-con yeah. because now you've actually gotten to see some of the cream of the crop. Yeah. A lot of it. How fun? Dude. Oh, man. This is just... It's going to be fun. It, it's going to be a really fun year. And, with, you know, here's something funny. Wisconsin, who's not great this year, is like, oh, wow, the conference is bad. We can keep our streak of top four alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not good. But, but this I mean, it's an opportunity for yeah. every other team in the Big Ten to try and finish second. Well, that's a fact. I'm just saying. Okay, so um, I didn't talk to you about this because um, I don't have a prop bet for you. Okay. I have a new um, – it's, it's going to be a new addition. Love I, it. Sorry that I didn't Love converse it. with you. On no. the spot, it's a game, <laughs> and it's a question, and it's going to be tough for you on the spot, but I want to get yeah, more – I'll do it. I want more people involved. We'll do it live. Yeah, I want more people involved. So please, if you're listening and you made it this far – Hop in and let us know who your answer is for okay. this question. I get a little combo going. Love it. Okay. Who is your um, least, I don't want to say hated because that's rough. Mm-hmm. Who is your uh, most disliked person um, that uh, in college basketball that was not on a rival oh. or was an All-American? Wow. So just like – Ooh. Okay, do you see? You understand? Yeah, are you talking like currently in the game now? No, not or today, ever? ever. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. So again, the rules are not an MSU rival because it's really easy for us to be like, I, I didn't like, yeah, you know, a Michigan or maybe even a Purdue when they were in their hay, or uh, you know, just guys from other teams, guys from other teams, but they can't be all Americans. So you can't be like Tyler Hansborough. Right. You can't be like JJ Redick or Adam Morrison. Oh, if, I like JJ Redick. Oh, that's fine, but you can see the polarization of him. Yes. Oh, so, I absolutely can. So oh uh, on the spot, and I and I want to hear from uh, our listeners too. Who is your like this guy? Like, I just hate. this I just guy. can't see him. A lot of people. Oh man! I'll give some examples after you give your answer, though. I gotta think about it. I mean, do you, do you want a few examples? What you think? Yes, please. Okay, so a lot of Aaron um, Craft is a. Is oh, a yeah, but that's kind. Of, that was a rivalry at the time, though. Okay, then that's maybe. an easy one. So if he's out. Uh, Kramer, Chris Kramer from Purdue. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I couldn't stand him either. Um, I couldn't remember if Grievous Vasquez oh, was an All-American. I, I think he was. He was so good at Maryland. Okay. He was nasty. Okay. Um, oh gosh. How about uh, Taylor Battle? Oh my gosh. Wow. You're really... Uh, Penn State? Man, I didn't like him either. Sure. Uh, so you see how this works. Oh yeah. It's... um, Boy, that's tough. I'm trying to find like some deep cuts. I would say, well, I mean, one that pops into my head is Giddy Potts from Middle Tennessee. Giddy? Middle Tennessee. Oh, I don't know if that's uh, uh, I know that loophole. Would, I know, but um, loophole. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I will think. I will think on yeah, this, and I will give my give my answers via when the, I can think of them. via the twitter.com? Yeah, you guys know where to find me. Awesome. Well, I keep that. I want to keep that thread going because there's nothing better than. Uh, reflecting nostalgically about things you really don't like. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Mike Miller. Ooh, there you go. I never liked Mike Miller. That was a long time ago, but the championship game, I never liked Mike Miller. Oh, um, oh, God, what was his name? Uh, I know you want to say Teddy Dupay. I was thinking about Teddy <laughs> Dupay. That was another Florida guy. 
Uh, oh, what am I talking about? What was his name? Joe Kim Noah. He was an All-American. Oh, shit. See, the rules are hard. Yeah, the rules make this difficult. Chris Kramer was a really good call on your part. I ugh. Yeah. Craft. Yeah. All right. Buford. Well, William Buford. Ooh. Never liked him. Okay. Um, good answer. Good answer. Mo Wagner. Not an All-American. Can't stand him. <laughs> Uh, all right, and on that note, uh, wait, isn't he our arrival? Oh yeah, well I guess yeah. Damn it! <laughs> all right, never mind. That's a really good point. All right, I clearly have failed at this game, but I will get back into it soon. Um, it's a fun one. This is a good one. We'll we won't give you long absences anymore. Um, yep. For John Kirby, this has been Austin Smith. You've been listening to the Only Podcast, and we will talk to you guys next week. Go green. See you. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.